You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see everybody here this morning. We want to welcome in our online uh, crowd as well. Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. And uh, today we're wrapping up our series, Bottom of the Ninth. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea uh, of when you feel like you're down and, and you're out and, and things just aren't going the way that you want it to go. And, and, and it, you know, to use the baseball analogy, it's, it's bottom of the ninth, it's two outs and the score is not in your favor, right? And, and things are just that way. And so throughout this series, we, we've talked about that, that idea. And, and in the very first week of the series, we said that we ought to be anything as possible kind of people. Because of our faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we should be anything as possible kind of people that we should never feel like we are completely out of it, that there are, there's always hope because there's always Jesus. And so we want to be anything as possible kind of people. In the second week of this series, we said that when we're in the bottom of the ninth moment, and remember, bottom of the ninth moments are usually dark moments in our lives. They're not moments that we want to tend to celebrate, right? And so we said we, we should remember what God has done in the light so that when we are in those dark moments, we don't have to doubt God. We don't have to doubt whether or not He is with us or, or if He's left us. We know that God is with us because of what God has done in the light. So we remember in the light or in the dark what God has done in the light. Then last week we talked about what happens when the comeback doesn't happen. When the game ends and we lost. When things didn't work out like we hoped it would and, and we didn't get that, 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 that promise that, that we thought we were going to get. We, whatever it was that we thought was going to happen, it just didn't happen. What do we do when we've lost and we said that God can still use you even when you lose? God can still use you even when you lose. And, and the way that God uses you is entirely up to you. You get to choose because how you respond in, in those moments, how you react to, to those situations, to those bottom of the ninth moments dictates whether or not God gets to use you. But it's all up to us. But God can use you even when you lose. And that gets us to today. Last week I told you that I'm not a guy that leaves a, a ball game early. I, I'm not the guy that's going to get up to beat traffic out. I'm the guy that's going to stick, stick around for the entire game no matter how, how bad it looks. And, you know, if the score's 35 to nothing and, you know, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that it's over, I'm still sticking around because I, I want to be there. And one of the main reasons that I want to be there is because I don't want to get to the car, walk out to the car and, you know, get ready to get in the car and then hear the stadium erupt because the comeback happened, right? Like you, you didn't think the comeback was going to happen and you walked out and you left early and you get to the car and you hear the crowd go wild because the comeback happened, right? And, and you get to the car and you feel like, man, I missed it. I missed it. I could have been a part of that. And if you've ever been in a, in a situation like that where the comeback has happened, you know there are people high-fiving each other, jumping up and down, giving each other hugs, and then you get to the car and you're like, I didn't even know who those people were. I mean, like, right? That's, that's kind of the reaction. But it's such a cool feeling to be a part of. It feels like you were a part of something. And, and you don't want to miss that. And so today, I, wanna, I want us to, to not miss it. And I want us to feel like we were a part of something, that we were a part of the team. Because I don't want any of us to miss the bottom of the ninth moments that our friends and our family members and our neighbors and our coworkers, the people that are in our lives, I don't want us to miss any of their bottom of the ninth moments. And so I want us to figure out today how to be a part of the team. Because we're all, honestly, we all kind of respond differently when we find out that there's a bottom of the ninth moment for some, someone in our life. You know, a 
a friend, a family member, we all respond differently. Um, and, and we could list a, a bunch of different reasons, or a bunch of different responses, because, hey, everybody's different. Everybody has different circumstances. But, but we respond differently. And, and, you know, one of the things that really bothers me is that our response is often not favorable, right? Let me just ask you, how do you respond? How do you respond when you find out that somebody around you is in a bottom of the ninth moment? And like I said, we could list a bunch of different uh, responses, but here's just a couple that come to my mind. And honestly, maybe, and maybe you feel like this too, um, but one of the first ones that I think of is relief. Like, man, I'm glad it's not me. Like you sit, at the, you sit across the table from somebody and they're telling you all the things that are going on in their life and, and you kind of have that reaction like, man, I'm glad that's not me. Like, like I, and I know that's, that's maybe a terrible thing to think, and, and we wouldn't say that out loud, at least not to them anyway, but, but that's honestly how we react sometimes, isn't it? You, you hear what they're going through, and I don't, you think, I don't know how they could go through that. I'm so glad that's not me. Maybe, maybe you've had this thought. Maybe you think, well, you know, hey, we helped out last time. I mean, you again, really? Seriously? Like, how many times are we going to have this conversation with you, right? Like, like it's every conversation. There's always a bottom of the ninth moment for you, and it's just like, I've already helped you. I've already done that. And and it's it's you again, right? Like, some of us, we we might have that reaction. We might have that response. Sometimes, I think maybe our response is, I just don't have time for that. I, I just don't have time. You know, I don't have the time to, to help you the way that you really need help because this is, this is really going to inconvenience me. This is really going to mess up my schedule. This is really going to get messy. And I just don't have the time to help you the way that I think you need helped. Or maybe this is one, and honestly, this is just kind of the benefit of the doubt. This is one of the things that I tell myself, uh, maybe to just kind of make me feel better, not feel as guilty about it. But, but I say, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. Um, I, I don't have the first clue about how to help you in your situation. And, and so we just get paralyzed by that. And so oftentimes we just don't do anything. And today's about not missing that moment. Today's about not missing the moment to help out, to be a part of the team. Today's really about coming together, about being part of the, te- a part of the team, about helping others who are in their bottom of the ninth. And so let me tell you, when we do nothing That's a response, I guess, technically, but that's not the response that we have to have as the church. And let me tell you why this is so important, and you know why this is so important. Because we believe, at the core of what we believe, is that we were in a bottom of the ninth moment. We believe that we were in the bottom of the ninth and the score was nowhere near our favor. We were were down and, and all but out. And at that moment that we needed it most, Jesus, God sent Jesus, his son, into our lives. God sent Jesus into this world and he went to a cross and he gave up his life and, and, and his, his body for us so that we might have forgiveness for sin, so that we might have that redemption. And because of that redemption, we can have hope of eternal life with him. That What we needed more than anything else, we might not have got the, the, the healing we needed, we might not have got the miracle that we were praying for, but what we needed more than anything else we got, and that was forgiveness of our sins. And we believe that, Right? Right? Like, I, like I'm asking, because if we don't believe that, then the rest of this is not going to be really relevant. Right? We believe that. At the, at the core of what we believe, Jesus did that for us. That, that he went to a cross, he died for our sins, and he, and he came back to life. And he did it to give us hope in this world. And his mercy is unending. His grace never fails. His love is constantly pursuing. And so if we believe that, then our response to anyone who is in a bottom of the ninth moment, who's in a bottom of the ninth situation, it should be marked with extraordinary compassion. 
and extreme generosity. When we find people in our lives in bottom of the ninth moments, our response to them, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, our response to them should be marked with extraordinary compassion and extreme generosity. And honestly, I think our reputation... I think our reputation as as Christians in our faith, uh, our reputation as as a church, our reputations as individuals really rest on how we respond to those people who who we come into contact with who are in bottom of the ninth moments. How we respond to them will determine our reputation. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to to look at a a story from the Bible. It it happened right after Jesus began his ministry. It's in Mark chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have one with you, that's all right. We're going to post it up on the screen here in just a moment but but I love this story and it's so remarkable because it's filled with comedy and it's filled with inspiration it's it's one that motivates me and I hope that it motivates you and I hope it motivates us to be a part of the team to be people who are who are going to help other people in their bottom of the ninth moment and so again the story's found in Mark chapter 2 and uh, here's here's how it goes it says a few days later Jesus again entered Capernaum and the people heard that he had come now, you, you probably know this, but uh, everywhere Jesus went in his ministry, there were always crowds of people. They, they just flocked to him. They always showed up wherever he was. You know, they were always curious to see what Jesus was going to do next. You know, he had gotten a reputation as a miracle worker. And, and you know, it, maybe if, if, if the miracle was just right, he'd take a couple pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread. And, and he'd make that into a meal and it'd be dinner and a show, right? Like that's what, that's what everybody was looking for. They were looking to see what he was going to do next. And so they just followed Jesus around. And this was no different. He comes back to Capernaum. He shows up, and there's all these people. They just come from out of nowhere. It says, and so they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room for them left in this home that they were in, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. They just come to this home. They find out where he's at, and they just, they just fill up this house, all these uninvited house guests, right? Can you imagine what that was like? And so... Historical scholars believe that this house was probably Peter's house. Uh, Peter was from Capernaum. At this point in time, Jesus already had a relationship with Peter. And so they believe that this was probably Peter's house. And so, so Jesus has come back home with Peter and everybody just comes from out of nowhere. It, it's like Beatles mania or, or Michael Jackson pandemonium or, or Bieber fever. Whatever your generation, whatever your style of music, you just kind of pick it out. And that's what it was like. It's just chaos. There's so many people there that you couldn't, you couldn't even get in, in, into the house. You couldn't get in the door. Think Glendale days. You know, Glendale days and you got a house on Main Street, right Margie? And, and there's 25,000 people now that want to use your front porch to watch the parade. Like that's, that's what it's like. That's kind of what it was like. And so it's just packed in there. And so it, it continues. It says, and some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So a group of men, may, maybe more than four, we don't know, but at least four of them, decide that they're going to bring their friend who's paralyzed. They're going to pick up each corner of the mat, and they're going to bring this man to Jesus. Now, we don't know what this man's name was. We don't know what any of the the friend's names were. We don't know this man's situation, how long he had been paralyzed, if he had been paralyzed from birth, if he'd been in some terrible accident and it caused him to be paralyzed. We don't know how long he'd been paralyzed. We don't know any of those details. All we know is that he was paralyzed, and evidently he had a friendship with four guys who were going to pick up this mat and carry this man to Jesus. He was clearly in the bottom of the ninth, right? We would say if you're paralyzed and, and laying on a mat and you're dependent upon somebody to pick up your mat and carry you from place to place, that's a pretty desperate situation. That's a bottom of the ninth moment. 
And so the deck is stacked against him. His four friends hear the news that, that Jesus is in town, and they kind of look at their friends and say, hey, we don't know what you had on your calendar today. We don't know if you're planning to go anywhere, but we're taking you to Jesus. Right? And so they pick up the mat, and they start, they start to uh, this house. And when they get there, what do they find? They find that they should have left earlier, right? Because it's crowded, it's packed, it's, it's Black Friday, and all the TVs are gone, right? It, it is, it's crowded, there's no room. And so they immediately bump into this massive, massive obstacle. And Mark writes, writes it this way. He says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they looked at their friend and said, hey, buddy, maybe next time, right? right? Isn't that what your Bible says? They said, hey, buddy, maybe, maybe next time, right? End of story. ESPN is going to do a 30 for 30 about it. It'll be great. You, you'll, you'll get on it, and you'll tell, them, you'll tell this story about your four friends and how they took you to see Jesus, and they tried really hard. They, they knew he was in town, and it was going to be really great, but it was crowded, and everybody was, you know, tickets were sold out. They couldn't get a spot, and so they, they went back home. I mean, like, that, honestly, that would be a, an okay story, right? That'd be a, that'd be a good story. You, you could say, you know, this friend could tell about how he had great friends who loved him so much and they cared for him that they would do anything for him. And so they took him, they, they were going to try and get him this healing, but, but it was just too crowded and they, they couldn't get there. And so they said, you know, hey, maybe next time. We'll, we'll, we'll leave a little earlier. We'll catch, we'll catch Jesus the next time through, right? I mean, that, that would be a good story of, of friendship. Maybe they could have gone back home and they could have done what, you know, so many of us want to do in today's world. They could go back home and make a Facebook post about it and say, hey, we're, hey I'm praying for you. And create this trendy hashtag that says, you know, hashtag thinking about my bro and put all these prayer hand emojis and dove emojis. And, and then, you know, you just you go viral and you be Internet famous. And the friend could say, you know, hey, I've never been so, so Internet famous in, in my life before. And so thanks for thinking about me, right? They could have done that. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Since they couldn't get to, to, to Jesus because of the crowd, something incredible happens. In fact, these friends, they do the unthinkable. They fought through every obstacle that presented itself along the way. And so they get to the house and it's crowded. And they could have just walked away, but they didn't. They, said, what? they could have said, well, we helped last time and it's crowded. So no, we're, we're going back home. They could have said, hey, we don't really have time for this. We didn't think there were going to be this many people here. I really don't have time in my calendar. I've got to get to work. I've got to change it all in my car. I've got to do something else, right? Like they could have done any of those things. They could have said, hey, there's just a lot of people here. But they looked at each other and said, no, we're not going to turn away. We're not going to turn away. We're going to find a way because they believed that if they could get their friend to Jesus, something good would happen. They believed that if they could get their friend to Jesus, something good would happen. And here's the deal. We don't know what else they believed, right? We don't know what else they believed, but they believed that. They had, they had heard enough about Jesus. They'd heard enough about the stories already about Jesus and his ability to perform miracles that if they could get their friend to Jesus, something good would happen. And they believed that. And because they believed that, they acted on that. And so look what it says they did. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Now, when you read the verse before that and then you read that verse, it feels like Mark just like skipped like eight steps, right? Like they go from they, they're going to take him to Jesus and now they're on the roof digging a hole. It's like, well, it's crowded. Yeah, was there another door? Well, yeah, there's another door, but it's crowded too, so that's out. Like, is there a ladder? Like, how did they get on the roof? Um, it seems to me like getting on the roof of a house would be kind of a, a, an ordeal, especially four guys trying to get a mat with a man on it who's paralyzed, who can't move. That seems like that would be kind of a, an ordeal. And Mark doesn't give us any of those information, any of the details about how that happened. He just says it was crowded, and so they decided they're going to the roof. That's all that Mark tells us, right? And can you imagine being in that room? Like, you're packed in. 
you're packed in there and they start, you hear this noise, you hear it sounds like somebody's like reindeer running across the roof on Christmas Eve, like that's kind of what you hear, but it's hot and there's no air conditioning and deodorant's not a thing yet and so like, I mean, you're just crammed in there and so you're just trying to create a little personal space for yourself and you hear this noise on the roof and all of a sudden you hear, you, you, you're standing there and, and stuff starts falling from the ceiling, like particles, brick, tile, mud, whatever, it just starts falling from the ceiling. You kind of look up and you're like, wow, what's going on? And Peter's over there sitting in the corner at his house thinking, thinking man, I got termites or something, right? And, and, and then all of a sudden, sunlight starts coming through that hole a little bit more and, and the hole opens up bigger. And, and there, there's these four faces that just pop out of nowhere into the hole and you look up and you're like, oh, I, I know those guys, right? Like, hey, Joe, like, it's really not a good time though. Like, Jesus is talking and he's, he's about to say something really important. Like, you, sh- you should wait a minute. And Peter sees these guys come through and he's like, my insurance isn't going to pay for that. Like, you're going to have to do something about it, right? Like, can you imagine what that scene would have been like? And then Mark says that they lowered the mat down on the, in front of Jesus. And we don't know how they did that either. Like, there's no information. It just says they lowered the mat down. We don't know if maybe one of them was an Eagle Scout, and he's like, hey, I got a pulley system in my car. Let me run and get that. We, we don't know any of that information. All we know is that Mark said this guy's paralyzed. He's got friends. They take him to Jesus. It's crowded. They go to the roof, and then they lower him in front of Jesus. That's really the only the information we're given. And so what do you think Jesus, react, how do you think Jesus is going to react to this? How, how's he going to respond? Says, you know, how, how dare you destroy someone's property, go thee therefore and fix it? Right, right, right. That could have been a response, right? What's he, is, he, is he impressed? Is he frustrated? How, how does Jesus deal with this? Because think about this. This is a major interruption in the middle of Jesus' sermon. And look, Jesus' sermons, they were always really good. They always had something very insightful to say, impactful to say. And so, you know, you kind of picture he's right at that key moment, and all of a sudden there's this mat coming down. Like, and if that's what he's talking about, like really cool timing, cool visual illustration, right? But that's probably not what he's talking about. So how's Jesus going to respond? Well, he says this. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, and I love those words, when Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith, the friend's faith, right? Not the, not the, not the faith of the crowd there. Not, not even the faith of the paralyzed man. When he saw the faith of the four friends, when he sees their faith, it says, Jesus looks at the man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He looks at this man right in the eye and, and he uses this phrase, this word son. It's a term of endearment. And, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure the friends are looking at each other going, well, we really thought he was going to heal him. That's kind of not what we thought was going to happen, right? But, but he ultimately, he, Jesus gives this man what he needed most, what we need most. We need for our sins to be forgiven. And, and that's really good news that Jesus makes this kind of comment in that situation. That, Son, your sins are forgiven. You know what that means for the rest of us? That if we're willing to put ourselves before Jesus, that our sins can be forgiven too. That, that guilt that we carry, that anger that we feel, that shame that we, we walk around with, God says, your sins can be forgiven. You don't have to carry any of that around with you anymore. You don't have to walk with that any longer. Your sins can be forgiven. And it was their faith, the faith of these four men, that moved Jesus. In fact, Jesus was moved not by what they believed, although what they believed was incredible, right? They believed that if they got their friend to Jesus, something good would happen. That, that's, a, that's a great belief. But Jesus wasn't moved just by what they believed. He was moved by what they did because of what they believed. 
Jesus was moved, moved by their faith. They, they took action on their faith. And, and here's why this is so inspirational to Jesus and why it's so inspirational to us is because faith is, is best expressed through action. Faith is best expressed through actions. That's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, right? Faith without actions is dead. Faith is what we believe, but if we don't do anything with what we believe, then it's no good, right? It's just something that's in our mind. But faith is best expressed through action. Look, all, all the times that we have, we, we say incredible prayers and we have these incredible thoughts and, and those kind of things, those are all great things. But Jesus isn't moved by those things. Or at least, not, at least in this moment, he's not. Jesus wasn't moved by those things. What Jesus was moved by, what moved the heart of God was action because of what they believed. They believed that if they could get their friend close to Jesus, something good would happen. And so they decided they would not stop at anything to get their friend close to Jesus. They were going to do whatever it took. And that inspired Jesus. That moved the heart of God. And so when Jesus makes this statement, son, your sins are forgiven, that creates a, that creates a debate, quite the conversation uh, among the people that were there. Because you had a, a wide range of people. You had people that were looking for the show and looking for, for dinner. You had people that were, were there because they weren't sure about Jesus. You had people there that were very uh, anti-Jesus, that were opposed to Jesus. You had the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, who, who thought Jesus was uh, an affront to their way of life. And let's be honest, he was. Um, and, and they were not, they didn't want any part of this Jesus movement. And so these guys are there and, and they're thinking, wow, how can he say that? How can he make a statement like, son, your sins are forgiven? And so Mark talks about these people and he says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. They haven't even said anything. They, they, they haven't said anything. They're just thinking it. And you ever have that moment with your spouse or your significant other where, where you, you look at them and they look at you and they say, I know what you're thinking. And you're like, how do you know what I'm thinking? And then they tell you what you're thinking, and you're like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, and right, like, that, that happens, Al, that never happens. I, you know, because Donna, Donna just tells you what you're thinking. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's going to cost you, Al. <laughs> and Al, just so you know, this is also, this is being streamed, so there's a, there's a record of this. Uh, that's going to cost you. So, well, that's kind of what happens here, though. They're, they're just thinking to themselves. They're thinking, why does this guy talk like that? He's blaspheming. He, he, who can forgive sins but God alone? But what is Jesus saying here? Well, what's the statement that he's making? He says, the statement he's making is, hey, in case you missed it, I'm not just from God, I am God. I'm not just sent from God, I am also God. And, and so whether you, and whether you believe that or not, whether people that are watching this when, whenever believe that or not, you cannot deny that Jesus makes this statement that he, is, that he is God because of the statement that he makes that I can forgive sins. Because he's doing something that he knows only God can do, right? And so immediately it says, it says Jesus knew in his spirit that this is why, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? To, I'm sure I'm, that they thought, how do you know we're thinking those things, right? In which Jesus could have said, I know you're thinking those things the same way that I can forgive this man's sins. Because I'm God, right? I, I can know those things exactly the same way that I can forgive sins. Because I'm, I, I am God. I'm not just from God. I am God. And so Jesus says, hey, I want to ask a question. And he says, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take up your mat, and go home? Which one's easier, right? Which is easier to say? 
But then he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that's good news for anyone who's, who's trying to resolve or absolve the guilt uh, about their own sins. That Jesus, that his death, his resurrection is powerful enough to forgive the sins of any person. Any person. Whatever you've done, that there is no sin too great that Jesus cannot forgive it. His death, his resurrection has the power to, to forgive all sins. And so while Jesus is waiting for them to answer his, his question, it's kind of, a, kind of a trick question, not one that he's really expecting an answer from. He goes ahead and he looks at the man and he says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And so the man gets up, takes up his mat, and he walks out there in full view of everyone. Now this wasn't like, hey, we're going to take him to the back and, and have a little private ceremony, and then we'll come out and tell you he's healed. No, no, no. Jesus said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And immediately, this man whose, whose legs, who'd probably, the muscles had probably atrophied over time because, like I said, we don't know how long he'd been paralyzed. Immediately, his legs have strength. His back has strength. He stands up. He picks up his mat and he walks out. What do you think that man did as soon as he got up? I, I don't know what he did immediately, but I, I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to, to go from not being able to walk to all of a sudden being able to walk. But I would think one of the first things that he would probably do is he'd probably walk over to his friends and give them a big bear hug, right? And say, hey, thanks. Thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for making sure that I got here, right? I, I would think that would be like at the top of the priority list. It's got to be one of the most important things. Like I need to tell these guys thank you because these guys, their faith made it possible for me to be here. And everybody in the place is blown away by what's happened. In fact, Mark says this to conclude it. He says, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And what do you think Mark's referring to when he says they've never seen anything like this? Because at this point, they've seen some miracles. They, they've seen some miracles. So, so it might be that. But honestly, I kind of think that he might have been talking about that kind of friendship. That they'd never seen that kind of friendship before where people were willing to sacrifice themselves to put all their, their, their own agendas aside for, for the sake of someone else. They, they had never seen someone, a, a group of people with such a friendship with, who would act with such courage and such boldness, with such tenacity. That we've never seen someone's faith be so visible that it moved the heart of God. Have you ever seen someone's faith so visible that it moved the heart of God? I think that's an, incredible, that's an incredible statement. And I think that's kind of what Mark was talking about here. They had never seen that before. They had never seen the heart of God moved by someone's faith. And here's, so, so here's, I guess, where I want to end with this. Don't we want to be that kind of friend? I mean, in, in our minds, in our hearts, I think, I think we all agree that like, we want to be that kind of friend. We want to be that kind of person that, that would have the kind of faith that would move the heart of God, right? Like, we want to be those people. But I think there's an imperative in, in this story for every one of us to be that kind of friend. Because they were convinced that if they could bring their friend to Jesus, if they could get their friend close to Jesus, something good would happen. And I think we need to be convinced that if we bring someone to Jesus, something good will happen. If we get our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, our whoever, people that we don't know yet, if we can get somebody close to Jesus, we need to be convinced that something good will happen. The day where Jesus is passing through town and I can just go see him, it, it, that day's passed. That's gone. It's a different day now, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven. He, he's, he's given us the Holy Spirit of God to live in us. And he says the church, 
the church, us, the body of Christ, we are to be the visible representation of Jesus on planet earth. That's our job. Not just when we meet together on Sunday mornings, when we worship together, not when we get together for Wednesday night Bible studies or, or any other group, but, but when we are together all the time. When we go out into the world together, when we, when we live and we work, when we hang out at home and, and when we're just hanging out in the neighborhood with our friends, we are the body of Christ. And so the imperative is for us is to make sure that we get people to Jesus, right? To be that kind of friend. The imperative is for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To be the body of Christ to anyone. Specifically, anyone who's in a bottom of the ninth moment. You might even say it this way, that, you, that we need to be the body to anybody who needs somebody. We need to be the body to anybody who needs somebody. That's the imperative for us. That's the, that's the go and do for us. That's the, the non-negotiable. That's not optional for us the, the, to be the body, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to, to a world that is lost and hurting. And, and, and look, we don't have to look very far for that, right? We can look in our neighborhoods and, and even in our church family and find people that are, law, that, that are hurting, that are going through something, right? That are in a bottom of the ninth moment. And the imperative for us is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the body to anybody who needs somebody. Look, every time what you need is Jesus, right? Every time what, what, what we need in those bottom of the ninth moments is Jesus. But sometimes Jesus shows up in the form of, of a casserole or a gift card or just the presence of a friend. Our response to anyone who's in a bottom of the ninth, once we get past that, whoa, I'm glad it's not me, or it's you again, really? Like We've already helped her. I don't have time for this or I don't know what to do. Our response, once we get past that, should be marked with incredible generosity and remarkable compassion our response should be compassion and generosity we we are the hands and the feet the tangible expression of jesus on planet earth and so bottom of the ninth friends they've got certain attributes right bottom of the ninth friends they're different than other kind of friends and, and you know this to be true in fact bottom of the ninth friends they're the kind of people they're the kind of people that will tear the roof off of a house to make sure that you get where you need to be, right? Bottom of the ninth, friends, they're, they're the kind of friends that they're not going to turn away for any reason. They're going to be there with you no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's inconvenient. It doesn't matter if they're going to they're gonna have to make sacrifices. It doesn't, mean if that, it doesn't matter if they're going to have to call you time and time and time again. They're going to be there, right? Because they're bottom of the ninth, friends. They're not the kind of people that say, hey, the door's crowded. Let's go home. No, they say, hey, the door's crowded. Let's look for another door, right? All right, there's no other door. Let's look for a ladder. Let's get up on the roof. Let's start digging. That's the kind of friends that the church needs to be, right? We're going to tear the roof off. We're going to make sure that Jesus is with you. We're going to make sure that you know that Jesus is with you, that he hasn't left you. Because, right, that's the temptation when we're in a bottom of the ninth moment, to think that Jesus has left us because it's dark and it's lonely and we think, we think Jesus has kind of abandoned us in, in that moment, right? That's the temptation for us. And so bottom of the ninth, friends, they're the kind of friends that say, hey, we're going to make sure that you know no matter what that God hasn't left you. And you're going to know that because we haven't left you. Because we're going to be with you all the way. We're going to be the representation of Jesus so that you know without a shadow of a doubt that God hasn't given up on you, that God hasn't abandoned you, that God hasn't left you. And here's the deal. It's easy, it's easy to just think of someone when, when you know someone's going through a bottom of the ninth moment and just kind of say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, hey, I'm praying for you. It's easy to say that, right? It's easy to say, hey, I heard about your situation. God bless you. Bless your heart, right? Bless your heart. That doesn't mean the same thing in other parts of the country. But it, it's easy to say 
say those kind of things, right? But here's the problem with that is that God bless you and bless your heart doesn't pay the utility bill, right? God bless you doesn't get that friend to the doctor's appointment that they need to get to. It, it just doesn't, right? It, it just doesn't. It's a sweet sentiment. It, it's, a, it's a great thought, but it just doesn't do anything past that. And so bottom of the ninth, friends, they don't just think about you. They tear the roof off to carry you. The, the bottom of the ninth, friends, they do. Because they understand that faith is best expressed through action. And so I want, I want and I know, or at least I believe that you want this too, that you want to be that kind of friend. You want to be that kind of friend to the people in your life. That you want to be that kind of person that, that you can be called on at whatever time of the night and that you will be there. You will do whatever it takes. That you will sacrifice. That you will, you will be there. You will make sure that they know that God hasn't left them because you are there with them. And so here's what I want us to do kind of today as a response to that. Oftentimes we just end our service with a prayer, and I'm going to pray here in a few minutes, but oftentimes we just pray and we leave and we think, oh, well, I, I went to church today. That was great. I'll see you next Sunday, right? Like that, that's just kind of become the mentality of the church, and, and I'm, that's, we got to do better than that. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to grab your cell phone. Everybody's got their cell phone, I'm sure. Uh, some of you have been texting on it all morning anyway. That's all right looking at Facebook memes I know I might not know but God does that's all right so just remember I had a professor that would tell us if you cheat on a test I'll never know but God will know and so I've always remembered that so here's what I want to do as a response instead of just praying and leaving and and doing nothing I want I want us to think about somebody that's in a bottom of the ninth moment somebody that you know is in a bottom of the ninth moment. And unfortunately, it probably doesn't take you very long to think about that. As soon as I say that, you can probably think of at least one person that you know that's in a bottom of the ninth moment. And I want you to grab your phone, and, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to make a reminder for yourself in your phone. Text yourself. And so, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to do it too. I want you to text yourself or remind yourself to do something. In fact, um, the reminder that I sent in my in first service uh, to myself was just the words, do something. And, and I'm going to do it again because I will forget. So go ahead and just take 15, 20 seconds and text yourself. Make a reminder. Do something. Here's what it looks like on my phone. Just do something. Because here's the deal. When we don't do anything, that's doing something. But it's the wrong something. Let's just call it what it is. It is the wrong something. We've got to do something. You, you might not know what to do, right? It, it might be, it might be your, your neighbors and, and they just found out mom has cancer. Do something. Show up. Send a card. Bring them a, bring them a, a casserole. Take them lasagna. Whatever. Just show up and do something. Because there's a, there's a world out there that needs to know that the church still is the hands and feet of Jesus. And when Jesus encountered people in the bottom of the nice situations, he always did something. He, he never just said, hey, God bless you. I'll pray for you. I'm like, that's great. We should pray for people all the time. I'm like, please don't hear me saying we shouldn't pray for people. I, we should pray for people. But Jesus always did something else, right? He never just left it at that, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Have a great week. No, he did something. He always did something. And here's the deal. When we do something, can you, can you imagine the power of all of us doing this? Can you, can you even imagine the number of lives that could be impacted because of everybody in the, in the church that's a part of the church, that is the church, actually doing something? 
Can you imagine the, the number of stories that could be told, the, the lives impacted, the comeback stories that could be told? And here's the deal. When we do something, we get to participate in it. We get to be a part of that moment when the comeback happens. We get to be a part of that. We get to, we get to jump up, up and down and high-five and hug and say, man, that was incredible. I, I didn't think that could happen, but wow, it happened. I didn't, you know, this is such a, an awesome thing. Can you imagine the stories that could be told, the impact that could be made, the difference that could be made in our world, not just in our world, but in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our church, if we will simply do something, whatever it is. Look, I don't know what it looks like in your situation, but just do something. Do something. Because there's a story to be told. There's going to be a The stories always get told, right? There will be a story told. And we get to decide if the church gets to play a part in the comeback story. We get to decide that. So I want us, I want us to be a church that's full of people that celebrate the comeback. But we don't just celebrate the comeback because we saw it happen. We, it's a great story. Uh, we, we get to celebrate the comeback because we were a part of it. Because we did something. Do something. Do something. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And I am so incredibly grateful for, for passages of Scripture like this where we see friends who, who don't give up on their friends. Who, who stop at nothing to make sure that their friends know you. Father, may we be that kind of people. That we would stop at nothing to make sure that our friends, our family members, co-workers, neighbors, whoever, people we've never met yet, that we make sure that they know your son. Because we should, we should be convinced that if we get people close to Jesus, something good will happen. So Father, help us to, to express our faith to our belief through action. Help us to, to do something. Give us the boldness, the courage to do something. To express our faith in ways that will move your heart. Father, help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be that kind of church. Bottom of the ninth, friends. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him being our bottom of the ninth friend. For allowing us to be able to tell the greatest comeback story of all that we were lost, that we were, we were without hope, that we were completely separated from you, but because of what your son did on the cross and his resurrection, we've made the greatest comeback of all time, and now we have hope, and we can live in heaven with you one day. Father, help us to make that story the story for other people as well. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.